Chapter 19 Your Own Triple Entente Back in the palace with his new guards, Herman discovered that Marta was gone. As she and the errand he had sent her on were the only things that could have occupied his time until dinner, he was left with nothing to do but sit in his cramped office and stare at the same police reports he had already spent too much time staring at. So he asked his guards if they could take him early to Ubileholava, which was only a short distance away on Bielahorska Street. Unable to come up with an objection to this, the men drove him to the restaurant, where he sat at a table in the center of it, with a beer in front of him and lots of time to kill. This beer, though, was twelve degrees, which meant that it was far stronger than the others he had since returning to Prague. It only took a couple of these before he drifted off, along with his surroundings, to a much happier time, the evening he spent more than twenty years earlier with Anna and Klaus at Uzlate Hotigra. Nazdravi, the three cried out, while raising their mugs of beer, which they did before slamming these together with such force that Herman thought for sure they would break. This didn't happen, and Herman noticed that he was still two beers behind his new friends. To correct this, he needed to work up a thirst, so he started devouring the large plate of Utopense in front of him. I don't know how you can eat that, Klaus said to him, while shaking his head and grimacing, much as he would more than twenty years later when watching Herman eat. I don't know either, Herman said back before flinging a large chunk of food into his mouth and swallowing it after only a few bites. Fortunately, knowing's got nothing to do with it. Anna giggled at this, which caused her upper lip to curl a little. Herman would say that it was the first time he had ever seen anything like it, though I think it was just the first time he had ever noticed such a thing. Regardless of which, he found it and her fascinating. They were so fascinating that he had a hard time concentrating on anything else. Do you have any idea how long those things have been sitting in that, commented Klaus, while pointing at the big pickle jar by the bar, where many sausages were floating in the brine. They look like a bunch of drowned people, which is what Utopensa means in Czech. They've probably been in that jar since before the war, Klaus added. They're like fine wine, Herman insisted, even though this was only the second time he had eaten the dish. The first came a day earlier during the long trip to Prague at a stopover late at night in Pardubice after he had run out of Langosh. Utop and Seth were not only cheap but were the only food served in the only place open. He had no more choice in them becoming his favorite food then he had an honor becoming the object of his fascination. They're hardly kosher, Klaus noted while pointing at the meat. Neither am I, Herman noted back as he glanced at Anna and wondered what she thought of him being Jewish and whether it would affect her opinion of him. You couldn't tell by looking at you, Klaus quipped. All Herman could do in response was shrug in embarrassment. His Jewish looks marked him wherever he went, and this would only become more accentuated the older he got. When I was growing up, 
More than once we heard anti-Semitic slurs directed at him when we were out somewhere, which would always cause him to grin. I once asked him why and he replied, What bothers them is that I'm alive. How could I not be joyful for that? But Herman didn't always think like this. When he was younger, he wasn't joyful at all when reminded of what he was. He would even sometimes deny his Jewishness when he could get away with it. And that he couldn't with Klaus was the reason he was shrugging. Just look at us, Klaus went on, seemingly unaware of how uncomfortable he was making Herman. A German, a Jew, and a Czech sitting together as if we were one big happy family. Our very own triple entente. Anna and Herman chuckled a little at Klaus's reference to the nickname of their enemies in the recent war. But over this chuckle, Herman told them, a joke like that could have gotten you shot in my unit. He meant it, too. He could even picture the officer who would have done the shooting. Herman's remark led Klaus to notice an aging man at the end of their table, who was wearing a medal from the Austro-Prussian War and glaring at him. It might get me shot right now, Klaus pointed out. Don't worry, Klaus, Anna told him with a big smile. I'll protect you. But who'll protect you, he told her back with his own smile. Anna responded by turning toward Herman, and while continuing to smile, she uttered, The war hero. This embarrassed Herman, even more than Klaus's kosher quip. It also made him want to crawl under the table. Though at least the sounds of war her comment evoked were drowned out by all the pub noise. I read all about you in Lidove Novini, Anna went on. The local boy who made good. I'm not exactly a local boy, Herman countered, with even more embarrassment. I'm actually from a little shtetl in Subcarpathia that no one's heard of. Not even people from other shtetls in Subcarpathia. I could have sworn that I read you were from Prague, Anna muttered while tilting her head in confusion. My father and his family were from here, Herman explained. So when the propaganda officer asked me where I was from, I... You lied, Klaus interjected with a grin. I lied, Herman confessed with his own grin, while recalling his father and all the stories he had told him about Prague, which were countless in number, even though he was a small boy when he left the city and couldn't have remembered much. He recalled as well the many nights the two spent in front of a roaring fire talking of nothing but the city, which was an experience my grandfather and I would often recreate decades later, such as on the night of my bar mitzvah, and one I've always wanted to recreate with my own child, while talking about the same city and sitting in front of the same kind of fire. During the talks with his father, Herman's eyes were always as wide as they could be. This was because the city was beyond his imagination, especially as he hadn't seen any pictures of it to ground it in some kind of reality. Just as importantly, he could draw no parallels to it with anything he had seen or experienced in the fields and forests around his home, and this only drove his fascination further. There were times he thought only of Prague, he thought of it when he was in school. He thought of it when he was doing his chores. He especially thought of it when he lay in bed at night. It became an obsession to him, 
which was pleasing to his father, who was obsessed with the city himself. Though it wasn't so pleasing to his mother, who was obsessed with a much different city. Her yearning for Jerusalem was something Herman was aware of from the time he was small. She would not only talk about the city all the time, especially during the Sabbath and the high holidays, but she would sing about it too. She did everything she could to impart unto Herman a love for a city she knew only in books, but it just never sparked his imagination in the same way as his true love. Actually, it didn't spark it at all. It's always been my intention to move to Prague, Herman cried out to Anna and Klaus, while emphatically pointing to their table, to be from here, and to make something of myself here. Then I'm sure you will, Anna told him while looking deeply into his eyes. This once more caused Herman to feel aspired by Anna, even more so than before, because she made him want to believe in his words. More importantly, she gave him the courage to believe in them and in himself, and this made him want to reciprocate what he was feeling. Besides, she added, now that Subcarpathia is part of Czechoslovakia, you're as much of a citizen here as anyone else. You have as much right to be from Prague as I do. Herman smiled at this, though he noticed Klaus was looking uncomfortable. He was looking much like how Herman felt a few minutes earlier, so he decided to change the subject to anything that wasn't about himself. Where are you from? he asked Anna. From right here in Visochani, she revealed, referring to a district in the northeastern section of the city. We only recently became part of Prague, so I'm an adopted Prajanka too. Are you going to the university, he asked next. I'm attending the Academy of Fine Arts, she replied. You're an artist, he uttered in surprise. She is a painter, interjected Klaus with a bit of a sneer. One of those nasty expressionists. You mean like Max Beckman, Herman blurted out, while both unable and unwilling to restrain his excitement. You, you've heard of Max Beckman, Anna mumbled with her own surprise, as she would later tell Herman that she knew no one outside of school who knew of Beckman and his work. I saw some of his paintings at a gallery in Frankfurt when I was passing through there after finishing my military service, Herman pointed out. I had never seen anything like it, especially that painting. What was it called? The Night. You know, before I saw it, I always thought of art as something to admire only for its beauty. I never thought of it as something that can make you think and feel something. I must have stared at that painting for an hour. I thought they were going to call the police on me. He's actually one of my biggest influences, Anna remarked, especially that painting you just mentioned. And I could tell you that I've stared at it for a lot more than an hour. I mean, I've stared at the copy of it we have at school. Really, he exclaimed. I'd love to show you some of my work, she exclaimed back. I'd love to see them, he insisted. I should warn you, though, she insisted back. My paintings are not as good as Beckman's. Even Beckman must have been a student once, Herman maintained. You must have great talent, or a school like the Academy would have never accepted you. Why, I bet you have twice as much talent as any man there. 
or like I said, they would have never accepted you. All you need is more training and experience, and maybe, I don't know, maybe someone to believe in you. Anna responded by smiling at him, but I think she was smiling more at his words than at anything else. Years later, she would tell Vera and her mother that from the moment she met Herman, she had felt attracted to him, despite their significant difference in height. She found him not only handsome and charming, but kept getting lost in what she referred to as his impossible brown curls. More than once that evening, she had to stop herself from reaching over the table and wrapping her fingers around them. But now her attraction to him was far more than physical. According to Viera, from the time Anna had reached adolescence, men had fawned over her and drowned her in compliments. No, not once did these go beyond her looks. It didn't seem that men even cared to notice what was beyond them. But Herman both noticed and cared, and this made her wonder if he could provide her with the one thing she knew was lacking in her and holding her back, confidence in herself. Because of this, she began drifting toward Herman and all the possibilities she saw in his eyes. Herman noticed this, and it only made him more excited. That is, until he noticed that Klaus was looking even more uncomfortable than before. He seemed almost angry. Herman supposed that this was from being excluded from the conversation. So he turned to his roommate and uttered, And you? Where are you from? Reichenberg, Klaus answered. The city today is called Liberetz, Anna insisted, with her elbows on the table and no shortage of congenial defiance. You can call it Xanadu if you want, Klaus insisted back with his own defiance. To us it's always been Reichenberg, and to us it will always be Reichenberg. Now it was Hermann's turn for insisting. Please, you two, let's not start another war. I'll never finish school. Again Anna giggled, and again her upper lip curled a bit, and again the two looked into each other's eyes. Also again, Klaus looked uncomfortable, and even a little angry, and he chugged his beer and turned toward the bar and the waiter standing in front of it. Yes, yet no, he howled, while raising his empty mug high into the air. Harmon both saw and heard Klaus demand another beer, but he was paying attention only to the woman who was quickly becoming his fate. Though he wasn't so oblivious to the loud clearing of a throat, which brought him roaring back to Ubiliholava and his present circumstances.